hello and welcome to the complete Anya Sparta. I'm Matt Castire. I'm here with Travis Trudell. Hello, Travis. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. This is going to be episode 10. This is Documentor. This is Varda's uh, fictional film uh, with with a dash of uh, some documentary <laughs> stuff mixed in here uh, in a way that's very difficult to suss out. Um, and it's uh, a film that she paired uh, in both thinking about it when she was making it uh, and literally within this film references to to it um, and also uh, in marketing uh, and screenings of the film with uh, her previous work murmurs which we discussed on the last episode um, I, I I had kind of like a brief uh, flirtation with just doing these as one episode um, because they are so linked uh, in her mind watching the movie again now like I think there's I think there's a lot to talk about, but I think it's also like very distinct from what um, Murmurs was about, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that film. But this still feels like a, a movie that stands on its own. I completely agree. I think it's uh, it is its own thing. It is uh, you know it's using the backdrop and some of the documentary footage that she probably captured or didn't make into the other documentary. Uh, to help yeah. round out the uh, the time and the place that this movie is taking place, but uh, I think this stands stands out as a singular, you know, piece of work um, with a slight reflection of uh, of kind of like the it's kind of like getting a uh, reading a reading a book about San Francisco and then watching the Zodiac Killer. You know, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, all right, I've got a good idea of where I am and what the place is and what the time is, and now I'm gonna watch this. Uh, this uh original film that uh kind of works in that area it's a very um distinct portrait of los angeles that is very different from what is depicted in murmurs uh for the most part um and i think generally speaking is not the most attractive portrayal (laughs) of the city that i've ever seen um both literally and figuratively um, but I think, you know, ultimately this isn't really a Los Angeles movie. Um, I think probably in a lot of ways, this could have been set in any American city that you could think of. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think there's a bit of the, it's a lot of, uh, her personal stuff coming through in the movie. So the setting, as she said many times before, you know, I find a place and then I put a movie in it. So I'm sure her being there and kind of working through some of her stuff when she was making the documentary, uh, this, you know, if the documentary is the light side of California, of L.A., uh, this is kind of almost a, uh, like a shadow of that, that brighter film that kind of deals with her personal emotions, not so much her, uh, her ideals, which is what Murmurs is more about, is the hope, is Murmurs, the... Uh, the reality is documentor. So, I mean, I, I believe that at least. Yeah. I mean, I was struck by the emotion, you know, it's, it's, she calls it an emotion picture, I think is what she says, Mm -hmm. or an emotion film, a film of emotions. No, an emotion picture. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Play on words. Right. Um, and, uh, I do think that there's 
components of this movie that are very difficult to like describe in words and i think generally speaking this is a movie about a feeling and Mm -hmm. she's trying to deliver that feeling and there's like concrete plot points and um you know uh, devices that she's using that i think we can talk about um as we get into the movie but ultimately um you know it's very trendy now to like refer to a movie as like a vibe movie and i wouldn't Mm. call this like a vibe movie in the way that people typically use that phrase but i do think that she's trying to evoke a very specific moment in people's lives or feeling that they have at certain times um and how much you enjoy this movie is going to depend a lot on whether you both like relate to that uh particular emotion um and also like enjoy watching it be depicted on screen because it's not the most exciting uh (laughs) like action-packed spectacular that you're uh that you're going to see even for a varda movie i think yeah, this is, I think this is a, she's been using this word for a little while now, the uh, cinecriture, which is like cinema yeah. writing. And un- until this film here, I think this is where it's the best uh, example of, I think, what she's trying to mm-hmm. achieve with that. Because I think you're absolutely right. I think this is a movie or, uh, you know, film that is made up of her using images to write the story of that feeling like it's uh it's purely like visuals and um you know it's almost kind of like falls into the category of like an early example of slow cinema where you just have you know people non-actors living and doing things and you're watching the day-to-day the you know the story arc of the couch found in the alley and watching it be brought home and worked home and then cleaned and then left to dry and then making it into that. Like, everything is a a process. And there's lots of processes going on at the same time as she's processing emotions of her, uh, you know, being by herself for the first time in a, in a strange land with her son. And it's a, it's a, it is hard to put into words a lot of the things and i think that's why that it's so successful in terms of her cinema writing style is that this is something that's hard to put into words and can only be seen sometimes and i totally agree with that if uh if i haven't said it yet already i fucking love this movie Mm -hmm. um i really it was when i watched it the first time i was kind of like in a bit of a i don't know i was I, i wasn't I wasn't fully engaged uh, due to uh, personal life stuff. I just wasn't paying attention as, as good as well. But it stayed with me, a lot of the imagery. And so when I watched it the second time, it was really uh, it was really special. Like there was something about the 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 energy, the the way that she is putting images together, um, the sense of longing, loss, and isolation that our our lead character yeah. em- Emily is feeling, um, 
it is it's not something I've experienced since I've been married, but it's a, an ex, you know the idea of being alone in a new place and kind of feeling your way through things, but having responsibilities from your previous life that you right. still need to deal with. It's a uh, having a new job that is kind of like you know just kind of a weird situation um that you're kind of working for someone that you're kind of unsure of but at the same time you want to do good because it's the only money that you're going to make like oh you know and it's probably the chances of her having some sort of working visa as opposed to just a visa to be there is probably minimal so the type of job she can get are probably very limited so it just it encapsulates all these feelings Plus, uh, this sense of excitement about trying something new and trying to be on our own, and also it's 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 so much and encapsulates so much that it's hard to, you know, without going through a beat by beat, which we totally could, and and dissect every single thing. It's <clears throat> it encapsulates a feeling that I responded to greatly, and the more I think about it, the more I'm just. Uh, enamored with it and uh taken aback i think it's yeah it's i think it's it's a super successful um film that she's uh that she's uh that she's made here yeah i really like this movie too um i think maybe not not as strongly as as you connect with it but uh, certainly coming back to it i had seen it um a couple of years ago um definitely did not respond as strongly to it um, as I did to, uh, to murmurs, um, the first time around, um, and, you know, still would not put it, put it up at that level, but I do feel like I got a much stronger sense of what the movie was trying to do, um, this time around. Um, and, you know, I think it's like a, I, I think for me, it's also kind of like a tough watch. It's just, it's very like, um, it's, it's, it's sad. It's about like a, a moment in somebody's life when they're kind of at their lowest. And, and, and in particular, like the loneliness of the film, I think is really hard to, to take. Um, you know, you, you mentioned process, um, and I, I don't know if you were headed in this direction, but uh, this movie definitely does remind me of a uh, John Dealman um, mm. and Ackerman in general. I mean, I think uh, L, uh her film, uh, like when when um, Emily in this film gets undressed and lays in front of the mirror, I was immediately reminded of that film um, and and just the domestic spaces uh, of this movie. Um, and how Emily kind of relates to and reacts to them um, is just very uh, evocative of Ackerman in a way that I don't feel like I've seen many influences uh, in Varda's other work. I mean, certainly like something like Cleo um, actually like maybe is the only one I can think of with, with kind of like what I would refer to as sort of direct influences from other filmmakers. And even then, like that is a very uniquely Varda perspective on the French new wave. Um, here, like to me, she is 
playing with, um, in particular, the European and French specifically feminist filmmakers um, of the late 60s through the mid 70s, um, you know, Marguerite Duras uh, being the other kind of major voice there. Um, it, it feels like she really responded to the sense of time being used as a respectful representation of a woman's inner life. And in this movie, there are frequent moments of that that feel, um, you know, I don't want to say mysterious, because uh, that's kind of bullshit. But I, I think it's more just that, like, you're you're seeing this woman at her most personal and intimate. And it's kind of like not my place to say what she's like thinking or going through in those moments. Um, And uh, I think that's like a really um, like profound depiction of somebody's loneliness and inner life um, when they feel they're most vulnerable. Um, And that that's the part of this movie that I respond to the most but it's also like the toughest to watch. I completely, uh, I completely understand that. I think as much as it's, it has so much sadness in the in the edges of the film. Um, I see, I see so much of this woman kind of recentering herself. Like I see this more as kind of like a, you know, she's been cast off um you know she's moved into this area with her husband and her son the husband has left her now she's kind of like forced to be on her own you see her build like have or kind of build a small network of friends on her own like her her own friends and like you you see her kind of just make it through some things like kind of refind herself in terms of like making sure her son has boundaries like nope that's your bedroom now like you like we need i need this space i need to have my own space to be able to kind of uh you know she's been defined as wife she's been defined as mother and now she needs to kind of figure out who she is to be able to move forward in this new landscape of not having these other, you know, this other person in her life. Um, but at the same time, uh, knowing that that son needs some sort of father type figure in his life as well and recognizing that and not pulling away from it, but kind of embracing it. So knowing what Varda was going through in her life at this point it becomes something really transformative probably for her as well as she was making the movie um i would i would you know and i'm totally making you know my own my own opinion about what it probably was but i mean she has stated in a few interviews this is this is one of her favorite movies she made 
And, you know, for someone who speaks highly of her work all the time, for her to really pick this one out as one of her most successful yeah. in her mind, like what I did best um, at the time of the interview that, you know, probably that I read, but is, is uh, it speaks volumes. And I think it is because of the way that the film is super transformative. Uh, that scene you mentioned earlier where she was, she lies naked and looks at herself in the mirror you know, it's almost like she is worked up to this moment of stripping herself bare and finally like reconnecting with herself. Yeah. And I, I, it was such a powerful scene, especially because you, when you know that this, uh, the woman acting in this movie, uh, Sabine Mamou, she's, she's not an actor. She's an editor. She's edited a few of Varda's pieces, including this one. Yeah. You know, and so the strength it takes to put yourself out there to be the Varda substitute up on the screen. Yeah. And to really do some, you know, some of the type of work that a lot of modern actors still, you know, will never, will never put themselves through because it is a really you know, soul searching type of role. And, you know, she's not, you know, you can tell she's not an actress, actress. Yeah. And some of her line deliveries are very poor, but it's the, that, I mean, once again, going back, it's the visuals and the concept and the emotion that is pulled out of it. That is, it becomes something that is so, um, strong that it's hard to, um, discount it because of some of these minor, acting flaws that I, you know, that I find actually in the long run to be kind of endearing to the person who is playing that role as opposed to taking away from my enjoyment of the film. Yeah. And he, and she fits in with a lot of the other non-actors that are around her too. Um, yeah. In a way that, that makes it less jarring than something like um, Nomad Land, where it's like stars surrounded by real people, which by the way, I actually really like that movie, but there is there is like a jarring component to it there um and but i do think that her performance is really wonderful here uh and there are some pieces that i think really resonate i think first of all just her um rapport with martin who's played by mm. her, her son who's played by um barda's son um matthew, matthew. um is really wonderful and probably comes from the fact that he knew her really well um, because, you know, she was working with, with his mom uh, for this time when they were isolated in Los Angeles. Um, and the scene on the phone where we kind of learn that, you know, what happened, we don't learn necessarily the specifics of the relationship, but we learn that, you know, that they sort of grew apart when they came to California um, and she's kind of, you know, working to, to fight to hold back the tears. Um, I find really I find find really moving. Um, yeah, that that line where I think her friend on the phone says, are you OK? And she just says, no, no. Nope. Yeah. Oh, so, so beautiful because it's it's, you know, it's that's kind of nice. It's refreshing. Yeah, it, it's finally saying, no, I'm not OK. I need help. And I need to talk about this, but then it doesn't go that way because that other friend is just monopolizing the conversation. Yeah. And I mean, here you are, you're not an actress. Um, you're playing a surrogate 
for your for your you know director um including being uh her son's mom (laughs) in like an auto semi you know pseudo autobiographical depiction of her life in los angeles um while by the way uh her director is also her boss in the movie (laughs) who appears like off screen briefly um at the beginning and then we you know we we sort of slowly learn that the film that she does the recording for um in the middle of this film is murmurs um where she's doing uh the voiceover and there's that of course that great very varda like moment <laughs> of um them playing back her voice and it's actually varda's voice and she says is that me talking that doesn't sound like me and they say oh you n- never recognize your voice when we play it back for you <laughs> yeah that was a that was the nice uh the meta touch that really kind of uh, combined uh, this movie with that one that that moment of and and uh of just like uh you know the crossover between the two movies that and that you know that concept of she's working for someone famous that this is the closest she's going to get to any sort of celebrity you know just this briefest kiss because i'm sure there's so many people that live in la that have nothing to do with the film business but have had something to do in the film business in some tangential way that they're just like, because of the nature of that area, always having something yeah. going on, you you can't help but be a part of it somehow. And having that moment of just like, well, she's got a nice voice. Hey, read these lines. Like, uh, <laughs> well, it was also like, I mean, like I was thinking about that through the through this whole movie, especially the uh, the most recent time that I watched it, because like the all all of these people that show up in the movie you know, even for like a split second, someone like the woman with like the weird growth on her mouth who Mm. she tries to rent a apartment from or, um, the other guy, the guy that she ends up renting an apartment from who says, Oh, you'll fit right in here. You'll feel right at home. It's tons of other foreigners, (laughs) (laughs) which is like the most American uh, thing to think. Um, and, uh, you know, then there's that, I think the, 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 well, there, there's two ones that really stand out for me. Um, one of them is, uh, Tina, the waitress, who's Mm. the woman that Sabine, uh, sorry, Emily, uh, played by Sabine Momo, um, becomes friends with, uh, and she kind of tells this story about her son that used to live with her, but now lives with, uh, his father. Um, and we also see her at work, um, while uh emily is is sitting there drinking coffee um you know i assume that that's a real story that she's telling that that's like really what her life uh, is um, i i i assumed it was uh that that's the story from um uh pum from one sings the other doesn't she you know hand that's her true too to yeah her husband. right so I thought that was another nod to something else, like the cinematic Varda universe. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of like, uh, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me that that's the same, that that is her personal story because um, she is so convincing in telling it that. Right. It wouldn't but surprise also me does not seem that, like an actress at all. Um, no, not and, at all. And, and, she, and her real name is Tina. I think everybody who appears in this movie except for... Um, Emily and Martin like are people who have 
their first name or are not credited in the movie. Um, the, uh, the other one that really stood out to me was um, the couple that was fighting um, in the doorway of their apartment, or I guess of her apartment, which he uh, doesn't pay, he, he doesn't need to pay rent on because she pays it for him. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. He shoves her face. Clearly and... an abusive relationship. Um, that definitely seemed like she just stumbled upon these people having an argument and was filming them. Although it becomes weird because she, she cuts at one point. So it's like, there's a different angle. They're still fighting, yeah. but it doesn't seem like it's a continuity cut. Like they they, it seems like a later moment from them, but then they kind of look towards the camera. Like I just, there there's mo- the, those two moments in this movie and, and a couple others, like where were situations where it kind of felt like I didn't know if this was real or if she was recreating this with non-actors, like it was just, you know, the line is definitely walked here. Um, and obviously like the reference of the title itself, um, mentor is, is liar in, uh, French. So, uh, document documentor, which is, you know, what we refer to as somebody who makes a documentary, um, mashed up with, uh, with liar. So, um, you know, kind of vintage Vardo, uh, word playfulness. Um, but also I think like a direct reference to some of the stuff that she's doing in this movie. Yeah. I think that's what, I think that's really what makes the documentary footage that she's kind of interspersing throughout the whole movie. Um, you know, some of it is B roll feeling, but a lot of it is building up this world and, so like catching those people fighting on the street or the old lady or the lady, excuse me, I don't know what her age is, um, at the laundromat as she's kind of like rubbing through her hair and kind of uh, working out some knots or putting in a braid or whatever she's doing with her hair that's really beautiful or the people on the beach. Um, all these moments that are being caught like on camera that help really flesh out this world that um emily is living in this new kind of foreign land and then you know this idea of her going to work every day and sitting at a typewriter i don't even know what she's doing she's either transposing or translating or um but she's got this window that looks out on this beautiful stretch of beach yeah there's always something wonderful happening outside of it, but she's never on the beach until she finally takes that walk on a beach with her son later in the film. And there appears to be a funeral. <laughs> There's uh, two people uh, over a body that may or may not be dead with a Bible yeah. on her chest. So the time where she finally does get to experience that outside <laughs> of that, that window you know, and you see that they're constantly cleaning the beach, whether it's people picking up stuff or they're raking it with a tractor. Um, Everything is being kept pristine and nice in front of that window. And then you juxtapose that with the the labyrinthine housing development she lives in, in which her window looks out on a wall and her son's window looks out on another window. And it becomes, you know, yeah, the, the real difference between the the life she 
could possibly potentially lead or the life that she's kind of stuck with now. Um, and that becomes, you know, that help is being enforced by the times where she's out in public interacting with the public, whether it be street performances or in a real restaurant and they're filming them from outside. So you see real interactions and, um, it's, it's a, a lot of movies, there's some movies nowadays that use a lot of that technique. Um, I'm thinking stuff like uh, Tangerine or um, uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of any because I've said that. Um, they uh, <laughs> they incorporate like these real world things in the in the yeah. scenes that they're filming in, which, you know, adds a bunch of life to the, the project. And it was really it was really fun to see her experiment and play with that because it kind of does perfectly blend um, what she's been trying to do, which is tell real stories in real places, but being able to control the narrative um, her way, which is, which uh, I think she, you know, she has successfully done here. Yeah. And it again lends itself to that sense of like, is this, real life or is this that she's filming or is this like highly orchestrated constructed life um yeah the the scene in the in the diner also has uh, a reference to uh one of my favorite writers arnold lobel uh children's author who wrote al at home um mm. the the section where she he's talking about the the owl that thinks of sad things so that he can make tear water tea that's a uh, that's an Arnold Lobel book. Um, huh. Just an aside there for everybody. Go read out at Al at home. It's the best. Um, and then, you know, I think I think what I think what's happening is Varda is like writing. Varda, as her boss in the movie, is writing uh, things by hand, and then she's typing them up for her. Because um, at one point she says she says that that's you know what her days are filled up with. Um, and I, I think she says it in, in the in the laundromat, and I feel like the laundromat is like where her lowest of the lows happens in, in this movie. Yeah. In this movie, and you know, I mean, I think that that's like a very common depression thing. The idea of like, what's the point of doing laundry? I'm just gonna have to do it again. Or what's the point of? I mean, she gets to down to like, what's the point of eating? I'm just gonna have to, you know, eat again uh, tomorrow. Um, but she says, you know, in that sequence, like, I, I don't think about these things through most of my life. And I know that at some point I'm not going to, I'm going to stop thinking about them again and it'll just become part of my regular life. Um, which, you know, indicates that even at this low that she finds herself in, she does, recognize that this is a temporary feeling which of course is like the most important thing that you can do when you're battling some kind of uh circumstantial depression um you know this the feeling that like okay i am i am really struggling here but i know that it's going to get better at some point um yeah and it makes me wonder like how much of what she's talking about and what she's going through in this movie is specific to the relationship ending versus the situation that she finds herself in, which I think is a real struggle for her. Um, and I think the, the, you know, the, the, the 
mother-son relationship in this movie is kind of the heart of the complexity of the emotion um, around it because, you know, she's a good mother. She obviously uh, loves him and is taking care of him and making sure that, you know, uh, he has everything he needs to the best of her abilities. Um, but she recognizes that she's no longer, uh, allowed her own space and her own time. You know, that, that's the other part of that scene that is so powerful because, you know, there's this whole subplot when they move into this apartment that, um, you know, he's going to have his own room and he doesn't want to have his own room. And, you know, I think we've all been there. Like the kids are, you know, when the kids are little, they come in and they say, I can't sleep. I got can I sleep with you? Um, mm-hmm. like that feeling of like, I mean, for me, it, it it's like, well, I'm, I know I'm not going to sleep well cause you're going to be kicking me in the head. <laughs> But in, in, in a year or five years or however long I'm going to be like, shit, why didn't I get one last like sleep, sleep in the bed night? You know what I mean? Um, but also at the same time, it's like, can't I just like, I, you've been talking to me for the last 15 hours. Can I, can't I just have this time to myself, please? And I think there's a little bit of that here where she, you know, especially when she's talking to Tina, where it's just like, I can't imagine what it would be like to have my son, you know, halfway across the country away from me for years on end. But at at the same time, like, here you are and you're able to do it. And how can you do that? Like, what, what is that feeling? Because, you know, she's probably getting to the the level of dependence now where she's like, well, this is what I live for is to care for my son. So, you know, who am I as a person and how do I exist outside of this other person that I'm taking care of and bringing up? Yeah. Um, that's, that's what's beautiful about like, as much as it is sad, it's, it's super, you know, it's that, it's that kind of movement in the seventies where people were kind of, breaking away from the idea of you know it's a little much but a lot of people were starting their therapy and their psychoanalysts and they're figuring out stuff and they're kind of realizing that they're becoming more selfish in terms of kind of you know think i always think of richard dreyfus in close encounters of the third kind that dude does not even think twice about jumping on a spaceship and leaving his whole family behind without even saying goodbye right like yeah. there's like there is that level of this is for me and it's important. And as she moves through this movie and discovers these moments of, Oh, I can do it this way. I didn't like, I kind of didn't know that that isn't even a possibility or an option. And she doesn't, you know, she doesn't just drop her son off at her husband's house and say, there, he's yours now. But she does take a step towards, you know, I'm not going to come home right away. And yeah, I'm gonna reclaiming let him part of just her figure... humanity. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm gonna let him figure it out on his own. And when he gets mad at her, he's like, "Why are you mad at me? You got in the house. You did your stuff. You should feel good. Like you solved your problem, and I got to have a moment to myself, which I need sometimes. And in that moment, you know, his his anger flares up, but it's quickly calmed down when he realizes that you know, yeah, everything turned out all right. And a lot of children, you know, they get kind of upset when 
it doesn't go the way that they have in their head. But as soon as, you know, as soon as kind of reason is brought to it, a lot of times they're able to comprehend and move on pretty quickly. And so for him to to just do that, to kind of move on from it. And then, you know, they do something special and they go out to the boardwalk and they get some food and they see some music and they're having a great time. But it's that moment of her reclaiming some of her personal time to reconnect with herself in a very visual way, you know, and it's it's throughout the movie that she picks up these little pieces of you know i have a, you know i'm capable i i know i now have a support system so i can say to tina could you come help me pick up a couch that i found yeah. and you know it's not her trying to struggle to do it herself or her not needing to call her ex-husband who until the scene where they have a conversation together I assumed isn't anywhere near where they are. Yeah, but that's what I thought he, too. Yeah. He's he's relatively close and you can tell he's living a much nicer lifestyle than she yeah. is. And which makes it even stronger cuz she basically, you know, she says, "No, I'm just here for a cup of coffee and to get my last bit of stuff." Like, you know, it would be very easy to fall back into it to sleep with him because the most yeah. we've had as a relationship between them through her perspective is her um, uh, f- memories of their them having sex. Um, there's no memories of them like holding hands. There's no memories of them raising their son. It's purely physical memories of them having sex. And so it would be easy to kind of just, uh, you know, scratch that itch and, the fact that she is strong enough, you know, throughout this film, building that strength to get to that point where she's able to go back to him to get what she needs, but not to glass of wine, you know? Yeah. I just, the wine, the wine's just sitting right there uncorked. Yep. He's like, he's (laughs) like, she's like, actually I could go for something cold. And he's like, I've got some wine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess maybe that's just a French thing. You're just sitting there with some open, white wine on your counter all the time well he's hoping for the popover and the free sex that's what he's hoping for and she sees that and she's strong enough now to say nah i'm good uh you know i'll have that drink but i'm just getting my shit and i'm out of here uh yeah here's your key back you know and that's great (laughs) because that's that if she did that at the beginning if she did that early you know a lot of movies we've seen lots of movies where you know, yeah. the ex always goes back to their ex to, you know, to because they can't make that break finally. And we get the joy of seeing not having that relationship until that moment and then seeing kind of like a triumphant look on her face, you know, very subtly done. But she does have a smile that says, you know, I'm in control. This is good. Like I'm I'm making clear choices and this is my this is what I want. And that's a, and that's a that's a turning point for the the rest of the, the the last bit of the film, right? That's the last kind of uh, interaction with another person she has that doesn't just be her son and uh, herself uh, walking around and enjoying yeah. their time together. Yeah, I want to I want to go uh, back to the the Spielberg reference that you made because it <laughs> made it was interesting to me. Um, I had not thought about this, but when you think about, um, I mean, for me, like the close encounters, like, you know, 
I think there's probably a case to be made that Close Encounters is like just a movie about somebody that like wants to make movies and they're just like I don't know, like oh, I'm going to completely ignore my life uh, to satisfy this obsession of mine. Um, sure, but, but it could also be about like, toy collecting. Oh, totally. Yeah, like that's the thing. But, it's about man child. Yeah. It's I don't want yeah. to be in a man. I don't want to be an adult anymore. I totally. want to do my thing, and it gives credence to so many people who put yeah. their little stupid things in front of what uh, what should be oh, something yeah, that's no, a little more totally. important, but. But, yeah, but, but E.T. is, like, way more insidious to me. Like, the, you know, it's a single mom um, in that movie, and you really get no sense of her whatsoever. Like, I mean, she definitely, like, you know, she cares about the her son at the end, and, like, you know, she's trying to help him. But really, like, E.T., I mean, because if you, if you just assume E.T., I'm going to trash E.T. now, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> if you just don't worry, if you just assume that E.T. That... is his dad, like is his surrogate dad, you know, uh-huh. like stepdad, yeah, or yeah, uh, yeah, he's yeah, like okay. he's like the cool guy that comes in and like has all the special tricks, and everybody loves him, and he takes him on like a joy ride, and they're having the best time. But like, sorry, like dad needs to go back to his home planet now. <laughs> <laughs> where he's doing like <laughs> special things and you can't know about them like it is it, it it's like a very um evil portrayal of a single mom to me and like and and the you know the difference between like the mom and the dad and it, to me it's like an absolution of his father in a way that is like <laughs> kind of messed up i think um should we be saving this for the complete spielberg i mean yeah I'm sorry. i think we get, we're gonna have to go through it because no, you know the, i always read I, that as kind of like as kids kids are so selfish that there is no mom in that movie and they don't care how she feels yeah because well, they are true. completely selfish but i i understand that completely i think i agree i think if you look at a lot of the 80s uh work of his there's a there's a big tone of selfish behavior masked as doing the right thing which it really doesn't <laughs> like like especially now when you watch something like the fablemans which you're just kind of like uh you made this movie didn't you make uh, all these other movies that basically said uh you know f that yeah. i don't want a family yeah, um, we, we definitely cannot do the complete Spielberg. There's going to be so many people who are mad at us. You know what? It would be work. fun, though. Maybe we'd have hate tune-ins. I know. The problem is I'd have to watch Ready Player One again, and I just that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> now that we've trashed the most successful filmmaker of all time, yeah. <laughs> time to have that awkward conversation about the color purple. Yeah. Oh God! <laughs> uh, well, there's, there's a musical coming down the down the pike, so get ready for that. I think oh, um, you know, like that is important though because you don't see a lot of like single moms in in movies. Certainly from the the era that you know this movie is being made, um, and you know the movie is very much about their relationship, but it's not about her, her like you know. Uh, it's not like the Mary Tyler Moore show or something where she's trying to like claw her way to the top and, you know, yeah, take care of her, all. roll her sleeves up and take care of her son. Like it's, you know, um, 
it's about her inner life much more than her outer life and outer circumstances yeah it's more complex than a half hour episode of uh of a show where everything gets solved in a nice little neat bow it's it uh, you know the inner life that she's kind of struggling with and and also doing a fantastic job of keeping that from her son right you know there's not a moment where she he's like are you okay mom what's wrong or why are you crying there is there is none of that because yeah whenever she's with him she is giving him her attention and well he does say at one point like um you know uh like it's great to see you laugh or something along yes. those lines like you don't laugh very much yeah you um, don't laugh enough it's fun to see you it's at the at the restaurant right after yeah the, uh... it's pretty heartbreaking i mean like oh, that's it's... a tough thing to hear from your kid i would imagine yeah yeah and it's uh but that's that you know that's i think that's the beauty of of that movie it's like it's sad but it's also you know it's almost like she's coming out the other side of it you know it's it's that it's that line you said earlier during the laundromat you know it's her saying yeah i have this pain but this pain is fleeting and it'll go away eventually and i'll not think about this anymore it's the same it's the same thing um he's a very believable child i think he does great i mean he's he's grown up in front of the camera so at this point you know he could have he could have just continued but he probably would have had the most acting experience of anyone if he just kept right. going yeah you know but i think um, like even beyond like his performance i like what he says and does in the movie feels very much like somebody his age which is rare i feel like you know like yeah typically they're i mean especially these days where like everybody beyond thinks their it's adorable age. when yeah kids are are you know advice givers um like 500 days of summer or something um, yeah like i don't know the, when that trend started is it jerry Maguire? is it having the really smart kid who has all the lines or is it way that, back that yeah, yeah I, I I, there was know. a there was a lot of like tv stuff too i felt like that had that you know especially yeah. like sitcoms um where people oh, are just yeah. like too lazy to write kids as kids well, I mean, we go back even further. You got the daughter in the Philadelphia story, the the really young one. Per, per oh, that's true. Well, and also, yeah, what's it called? Uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Um, oh, yeah. See? So it's been a trope forever. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> well, Mystery also, solved. like, those, those kids, forever. like, it, it was so fucked up in, like, the 30s and 40s. Those kids were all, like, having sex and smoking crack uh, in oh, between it was... takes. Yeah, it was crazy. Like the amount of drugs those kids were doing was insane. <laughs> All because parents wanted them to be in as many pictures as possible. Um, but we digress. Um, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, I think. Uh, yeah, I. We've 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 gone through like the relationship between her and her son is really believable. Uh, Matthew Demi is. He, he, you know, this is a big step up from one sings the other doesn't. But I mean, a couple of years of life really can do that to you. You know, as he uh, matures mentally, he's able to kind of pull this stuff off. And even the parts where you're kind of like, you know, he's whiny or he's a little sleepy. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if that's how he really was on that day. And you just kind of roll with it and you go with it. Um, I will say there is one thing that we didn't bring up, and that is, uh, um. Uh, Sabine Mamu uh, has no idea how to throw a ball, 
Um, <laughs> that is probably one of the worst let's play past scenes uh, the opening of that movie <laughs> it's like she does no control over where it goes or how much strength she puts into it at one point almost tossing it into traffic for him to go fetch um it was very confusing that part i was like what is going on here <laughs> This, uh, I don't think they have her, balls like, in France. I think that's what. At least give her is. some time to learn how to throw. Come You're on, only allowed give to a use little your prep. feet with a ball in France. That's the rule. So. I think that that was that part made me laugh because I was like, "Wow, this person has no idea how to throw. She's never done this." This is also the the. This is also the first movie that we've covered on this show that has a zoom in on a penis. I think yes. I can't remember another one, but um. I'm trying to yes, I think this is our first <laughs> full frontal penis penile zoom. Um <laughs> I guess I guess you could technically say the end of 2001 a space odyssey, but <laughs> <laughs> or any time they zoomed in on Jack Nicholson. That's pretty much looking at a dick. <laughs> oh man. Yes, there's uh that uh there's some uh that was uh and it's still it's so stupid that i'm uh i'm uh you know i'm 47 and full frontal male nudity still surprises or shocks me and it shouldn't at all at this point like i should be totally comfortable and fine with it but it still happens i think and i don't know if it's like it's not the act of having it done it's that like oh i'm surprised this is in here like usually this doesn't happen and it's because we've been so conditioned that we don't see that, but we can see the other stuff. We can see all the lady stuff, but not the guy stuff. And it, yeah. it's kind of like, it's, it's silly. And I think that's another great thing that, you know, Varda, the great equalizer, trying, you know, her best to kind of like break those taboos and uh, push that forward. And so it becomes something that I'm just like surprised by. But at the same time, I'm just like, I'm surprised that it's there at this time. You know, um, yeah, it, it's always the sex scenes always, are shot really interestingly, too. Like, they're it, it, you know, extreme close ups, like it, it, almost abstractions when she's on their pelvises, sort of like she, gently rubbing together. <clears throat> I wasn't clear, but in one of the interviews I read, she seemed to be very specific that it wasn't simulated. Mm. So, but. It could be a lost in translation thing or but the way that it was phrased in an interview, um, it made it seem like this was something that was real. Um, So which would fall right into the late 70s, early 80s, L.A., you know, it probably was pretty easy to get two porn actors to come on set, have sex or and then, you know, well, but you see her artistically. You see I mean, her, and then yeah. the dude's face is different from the face of her husband later. Oh, it's not Tom. Um, yeah, because so, well, somebody yeah. in an, in a different essay was saying that she was having sex with her neighbor, but I didn't know what neighbor that would have been. The one who's writing, like that, kind of takes care of her. That like helps her son get in the house or something. Possibly, yeah, but it's definitely but not that guy. Cause that's that, not him. That guy has yeah. different colored hair. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, I, and the only reason why I think it wasn't Tom, unless they filmed it, like he had a a very um, pronounced amount of acne on his face. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like when they pull yeah. up and they, they get the side of his face. And then when we like, so I was looking for that in her husband. When we go later in that scene, I was kind of like, you know, and it wasn't there at all. So like, unless, you know. Yeah. There's really no context for those scenes. Like, you yeah, they're just kind of there. I mean, it could have been Mamu's real husband and they just right, used that, that footage. Right. Yeah, but it was, I mean... How does that was... conversation go? Are you like... I know, so right? this scene, I'm thinking you have sex with your husband and I film it. <laughs> See, I can't you know, do things like... That's well, why I'm not Agnes Varda. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, there's lots of things like that. Like, you're, you know, you're working for five months putting together murmurs and you look yeah. to your editor at some point like hey i want to make a feature that kind of coincides with this and i want you to star in it you cool with that oh uh i guess yeah i'm kind of an editor i'm not really doing this <laughs> yeah well um there's this great scene where you're completely naked um are you cool with that <laughs> and then later after you broach that subject you're like and i really want to do these really intense flashbacks of you having sex with your husband and you're gonna take. You're gonna raise my child during this time too. Um, so yeah, it's a. It's it's it's. You know, there's lots of there's lots of things going on here that I'm like, it was a different time. That's all yeah. I can say, right? It was a different. Well, she time. definitely like like you know, she was like, put me. I'm in your hands. Like you use me how you yeah. wish. Well, because this is the only movie she's in. Like uh, I looked up her IMDb. Yeah. And this well, is it. I think she's in other like documentary, like making of documentaries for Varda stuff. Because I think she she continued to edit some of her work, not all of it, but I think yeah, even she did into... something way later too in her yeah. career. And but, then she, uh, I, I mean, think she died of cancer in like the early two thousands or something. Um, that's that's a shame because uh, yeah. this movie also is like the pacing of it is I think well done. Yeah, and the the use of the B roll is is superb. Like the stuff that they found, um, all you know, it's that it's that Varda kind of, it's what was cute back when she was making your travelogue films, but now becomes poignant and yeah. telling is when she does her matching of things, you know, from. I think it goes from that intimate moment of sexual intercourse cuts to a woman rubbing her fingers through her hair at the laundry mat, you know, another intimate kind of moment, a uh, sensual, you know, moment that is happening and they're kind of, and she's putting those things together. And that happens, you know, that happens throughout the film. She does a really good job with that. She's always had a great eye for that all the way back to, you know, the, the point court where she's uh, taking these images you know the child dies and we take this image of a white neck going into black tar you know mm. very obvious symbolism type stuff but at the same time it works it works well there's a reason why juxtaposition works well or uh you know putting those uh, images together to help uh help uh make a point come through um yeah right and we, we should mention that great. the last shot of murmurs is the first shot of the of this movie um yes so again, you know, sort of doing that outside of the specific text that you were examining, uh, a match cut. You said earlier that the voice on the f is you didn't say the voice on the phone is Agnes Varda's. Is no, it? like no, the no, voice that... on the recording 
is Varda when she plays back what she yes when they play back for her what she said and then Varda I'm pretty sure is her boss is the at body the beginning. okay the body the physical body that moves through the frame and then we never see again and the voice of it is uh um uh our lead actress from um um oh Emmanuel John uh, Dielman yeah oh um yeah uh. Del- Delphin Sarig, yeah. There we go, Delphin Sarig, yeah. No, She's no, so the voice the, on the... yeah, yeah. No, the um, Varda's voice is at the beginning when she's taught. Like um, Emily is at the typewriter, and she's talking to somebody about how she has to go to New York. Ah, uh, and, and that's Delphin Sarig that, um, is the friend on the phone. D- yes, exactly. So I'm pretty sure that's okay. Varda who she's talking to and that's why because they wanted to get Varda to record but she wasn't there she was in New York so they grabbed Emily instead to do <laughs> the voiceover and he, he's like it's really easy it's just like 10 pages of narration what's the big deal <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I really I really like this movie like I've always I talk about like uh, responding to movies in an emotional sense a lot of times uh, we've talked about this and that this is kind of pure emotion coming out of the screen in terms of uh, the way that she's made this work that has that it just kind of really when I sat down to start writing my notes and my thoughts um, the like I just it just kept on like I think I wrote more about this movie than the other movies that we've done so far because mm. every image that came to my head brought up three or four more images or three or four more readings of that image and it you know it becomes really something you know like like we like like we said it, it is is that it's that perfect idea of cinema as a uh, visual storytelling that is also putting forth an emotional story that is uh, that is only done by this uh, selection of images with uh, with motion or images against other images. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think um, the other thing that we didn't talk about yet is the 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 play playing with language that is done in the voiceover. Um, I think probably some of that feels kind of like lost in translation when you're yeah. doing, you know, um, going from French to English, which, which honestly like happens a lot in Varda's movies to me where I feel like I'm on the outside of a much better joke than the one that I'm kind of getting yeah. through the subtitles. Yeah. She um, seems to be a, the type of person. I mean, we've, we've made already, she does lots of world word play. Yeah. And because of that, you know, um, I'm sure I'm missing tons of it, and uh, thankfully, I would hope she, ha- you know, being the type of person she is that has a lot of control over what she's doing, I would hope that she has control over what the subtitles read, and was yeah. able to kind of help nudge those along to have them be the right way. But you know, I can also see that you know being out of her hands in some cases. Yeah, I do wonder too. Like, if there are situations here where they 
substitute something completely different for what's being said in French so that it makes sense, you know, like kind of like when they do like a rhyming poem in a different language and they make it rhyme in English, which I kind of hate, but yeah. Um, you know, you kind of get why they do that because it, otherwise it doesn't really like make sense. Um, but I, I still find that stuff in this movie to be very interesting and especially the way that she pairs it with like human faces. Um, there's this sense of like trying to connect with the strangers around her, but kind of like in uh, Talladega nights when Will Ferrell's being interviewed and he's like, I don't know where to put my hands. Like, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> that's kind of like what, like there's this like barrier, you know, both, both in terms of like, the literal language barrier that she has with the people around her, um, yeah. in Los Angeles, but also like this feeling of like, I know that there are like specific words that I'm supposed to say when I'm interacting with people, but they all sound really silly when I put them in my head and like, they don't make sense. And like, I'm just not sure like how to be a human anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's, you know, and I think, uh, read, reading, um, she was really, really tired at this point. Like, and I'm sure some of that edge of, you know, humanity, hopeful humanity was kind of, you know, uh, turning a little darker um, at, around this time. Because at this point in her life, she's what, we're on her 10th feature film. Uh, not including all of her shorts that she's made. We're probably in the 20s somewhere. And she is still struggling to get people to give her money to make a movie. Yeah, She, she cannot get... And she's, she's getting yeah. quite just, I'm done. Like, I can't, I can't produce movies I'm working on as a director at this point because I can't... I can't make more time in the day to do each job correctly, but I'm the only one who can. So I'm like, I'm answering phone calls to try to secure money while also trying to work an actor through an important scene and also figuring out camera and grabbing my son who's running around over here. And like, she's just at her wits end. And it also comes at a point where her husband and her have split up completely at this point. And so she's also probably at her lowest. Yeah. She went back to California um, because she really dug the counterculture scene there and kind of what was going on. And she had some stories that she still wanted to tell that never happened. I think we talked about this. It's like called Emily and the naked man or something yeah. like that. Um, that was the one she went back to make and nothing happened with it. And in the interim, she made this documentary, which was supposed to be a short, uh, murmurs was supposed to be a short film and she secured money for a short film. But when she expanded it into a feature, she didn't secure more money. She started putting in her own money. And, you know, so if it was success, great, but both these films were not a success. They didn't do as well. And that seems to be the problem is, you know, no matter what she does, um, you know, people, even if she has successes or she has failures, they're still just not lining up to give her money. And she says one of the things that hurt the most at this point was... um, uh, 
Yeah, the art. Kaya just yeah, yeah. de Cinema put out this journal on like filmmaking and women, and and she was just not even mentioned in the whole entire, uh, you know, celebration of all the films kind of thing. Like it's hard it really to imagine kinda... like what how that is. Right. Yeah, it was it was about French cinema, um, and other women were mentioned. She even jokes like. Um, other short women were mentioned. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah. and and you know, like the idea that you would would omit her from that conversation is kind of mind blowing. Um, it it really is. Which, you know, is it because she moved? Like, did they kind of you know? lift their nose up at her because she moved to Cal back to America to make movies but she even says you know yeah Mal was, was making, mentioned yeah and he was yeah he was making movies in America he made so. Atlantic City around this time yeah yeah so it's that's you know that's got to be a real a real blow you know going from being the godmother of the French new wave to not even being included in the mix um you know and while she's struggling, while she's also just gone through a divorce, while she's also trying to figure out her life, while she's also moved to a new place, you know, that comes through a lot, I think, in this in this work. And that's yeah. what I think I respond so well to and what I love so much about it. There's so much, as much as she says, Doc, you liar, it's so much honesty is going through it. She's just lying about who it happened to. She's telling the ultimate well, no, this is happening. You know, it's my best friend. This is happening to, you know, I have to ask you a question. Well, my friend, my friend has a question for you. It, this is the ultimate my friend story. It's it's about her, yeah. but it's you know, through a uh, through an avatar, through someone else, so um, she can have a little bit of distance between herself and the uh, the source subject. Because otherwise, you know, that's a really a hard documentary to make and then you know later in life she stops she stops having that stand-in for herself and just starts putting herself in her movies and just making movies about herself and they're super successful and lovely and so yeah which not i mean not quite coincident coincidentally like was also the the moment when she was able to use digital cameras yep um and you know make her yeah, movies that, that for freedom. significantly cheaper yeah and more flexible um productions um yeah but i mean she didn't make another feature after this for four years um yeah so it's you know again she's got these uh until until she escalates uh later on she's got these big gaps in terms of of making actual feature films um and it's and it, it it, it seems certainly to be entirely because of funding up to this point. I don't know. Uh, I haven't, I haven't looked into her experience, um, pre vagabond yet. Um, so I don't know if she had other scripts that she was trying to get made in the interim, but, um, certainly up to this point, uh, even though it's kind of astonishing that she was that she's been able to make as many features as she has in this uh you know roughly uh 25 year period um there were still many many more that she could have made i mean you know godard made um i think 378 movies uh in between 1960 and 1980 uh, i think that's the right the right count right that's insane dude 
No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I don't know how many. It's a, <laughs> enti- a huge amount. He made, yeah, he made yeah. like he was he was on like a two feature a year bender. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I like, mean, like I think Nick Cage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> John Luke two Godard features Nick, a year. How did Nick Cage never work with Godard? That's my question. Like, that's crazy that that never came to be. That's really sad. Anyway, you got Herzog uh, though. Herz, you got you got a Herzog. Yes, he in, get, so that's good. Yeah, and it's a doozy. It um, really is. What uh, was there anything else uh, specific on this one um, that you wanted to touch on? Um, the financial struggles of Varda is seen in the film in terms of some of the, you know, technical issues that sometimes occur you know there's a couple scenes that are too dark and you can see that they crank them up trying to make them better some of the adr is kind of lax they didn't have like on-site yeah. audio for some but all those things aside you know it just puts it in the camp of you forgive documentaries for having these issues and so once you know once you once you get over that and you just let the emotion of the film pull through it's it's it, it's quite a stunning piece of work and quite an honest uh, piece of work as well, which I, I really responded well to. So I think, I think we covered everything that we, we, we wanted to talk about. Um, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. So I think, I mean, we can talk about uh, some of the shorts that came out around this time too. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, Varda took uh, five years to make her next feature, which we'll be discussing on the next episode. Um, and uh, which is, you know, sort of customary for her at this stage in her career that she's got these super long breaks. Um, however, she did make uh, a number of shorts in the in between years of the early 80s. Um, and there, uh, two of them in particular are fairly substantial, I would say, like, you know, in terms of, of the ambition and, uh, and, you know, amount of information and effort that she obviously put into them, uh, are practically features, um, two of the, two, the other two, I think are, are very interesting, um, but you know would not rise to the to the same level um and one of those is is less a a short than it is a series of features which is the first one um that we'll be talking about which is one minute for one image which is basically a compilation of these one minute features that she did for t- french television where she select i think she selected the photos mm-hmm. is that yeah, so she yeah. she picked an image and then she talked about it for a, a, a minute, and we've got a number of these like twenty five or something strung together here um, into one long run of uh, these little vignettes that she um, put together, um, and I think you know. Uh, well, you had mentioned to us before before recording that <laughs> you had mentioned to me before recording that the uh, intro lead in starts to get oh, a little tiresome. The, the the formatting of the of it is grating. It's almost like, well, if you're not going to show everything, just 
just cut out the intro like it's <laughs> it's like there's an intro it's it's almost like you're watching t you're watching tv you're watching a tv show and then you got that little intro for this short film it's like schoolhouse rocks you get that schoolhouse rock song and then you get to watch your episode of schoolhouse rocks and it's and instead of deleting the intro and just showing every image and her talking about it you know even with like a little fade to black or something they keep playing the intro so it's 25 minutes and a good 30 seconds of every single one is the intro over and over (laughs) and over and over again and it was grating after a while but it didn't stop me from enjoying listening to uh, Varda uh, muse and discuss uh, some of her uh, favorite photos or photos that she found most interesting to share, um, including one of her own, which made me giggle. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and it, it's a. I think she, you know, she's an exceptional uh, art critic, and I think incredibly engaging in the way that she talks about these works because she's both. Uh, I think she she's able to straddle the line like between dissecting the images from a technical perspective um and sort of uh, as an as a, an art critic um but also um speak to the emotion or free association that she gets from the image on a personal level and i find both both of uh, those approaches um, to be really effective in her hands, um, because I think she's just got really thoughtful things to say about a, a lot of these. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, uh, more than watching any of her films, uh, her talking about other people's works of, uh, art is always, uh, fascinating and tells a lot about her and what she sees in things. It's always interesting to see someone's, uh, personal perspective about it about something um especially about uh, photography which um you know is fascinating um there's this great book i read by errol morris about photography um just him dissecting photos and talking about truth uh, in photography so they're supposed to be like journalistic photography and it was uh it was just really fat it was a great insightful look at like uh his processes and so listening it reminded me a lot of listening to varda talk about these uh photographs and knowing uh that she came from a photo world and has since kind of moved on but she never stopped taking pictures and never stopped uh being engaged with the uh, photography around her yeah i think two of the other three uh shorts that we're going to talk about uh, or very, it's very apparent her photographic background, both explicitly um, in Ulysses and implicitly in in the the final one, the Seven Rooms yeah. uh, film. I think uh, there were three images here that really stood out to me: um, the the couch photo with the the couple kind of like making love with some sort of a. Um, uh, distortion in the middle of the frame. Yep. It was a really striking image, and I thought Varda's interpretation of it was really beautiful. Um, the uh, the photo of the naked kid on the like, yeah. legs of the, laps the, of the old, old ladies old ladies that have their eyes blacked out 
is like the most cursed image I've ever seen in my life. I have like nightmares about that like every night. What uh, the hell is going on well, there? I think that's a uh, it's a photo collage. I think the the uh, kid was put into the picture. Okay, like it was like, so disturbing. Yeah, it felt like a uh, it felt very punk rock to me. Like really, uh, like you know, you could see that. Uh, that a lot of the punk scene took that iconography and that kind of uh, yeah, juxtaposition totally. of those things. And yeah, no, yeah, I agree. That was a very striking. It was also, it took me a second. It wasn't until she zooms in on the picture and is like showing little details that I'm like, oh, okay, they cut that kid out and put him in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I felt like it was like the, like a Nazi garden club. Because I can't imagine any, any four old <laughs> yeah. uh, ladies agreeing to letting that kid slide naked across them. Yeah, it was it was very disturbing. Um, and then the third one, I, I mean, I thought that the, the, pic, the picture of um, Varda's mom and like her, her immediate family was fascinating in the way that that kind of was revealed through the process of her talking about the image um was you know a really unique insight into to varda's family background yeah i think that's where that's with the her choosing the photos that mean something to her that like that's where i think you know i i was i appreciated it more is that she was not only just picking pieces of art but just like that not only is photography can be an art form it all can also can be something that is emotionally meaningful because you know we have you know not every photo we have in our phones is art but there are uh, strong connections to the images we make and that we keep and that we share with others and so i i like that connection in there as well it resonates in the modern world right now um as well so yeah no i agree i thought that was a great that was a great little segment um were there any that stood out to you i really i really enjoyed there was a picture of a uh uh a man and a woman standing by a open doorway like a stone doorway Mm. that one i thought was really kind of haunting and beautiful and I also enjoyed the picture, you know, the 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 naked guy kid across the uh, old ladies. I thought it was great. <laughs> like I was just laughing, and uh, there was there was a uh, one more towards the end that oh, it's a uh, it's escaping me right now. Um, but there was one that was there. No. No, it's a completely went out of my brain now because we're, you know, it's like one of those things where as soon as you uh, talk about the thing you're trying to remember, it goes away. Yes. Um, So, yeah. So, no, those were, there were some really beautiful images in there and a couple of them were were absolutely fascinating. And I just, I just enjoyed listening to her uh, talk about it because, you know, when you, when you've been watching a lot of her films like we have, it's, you know, we've been watching lots of her talking about her own work. Um, and so it's nice to hear her talking about other people's work and, and you can kind of see that she uses the same, uh, trained eye and same, uh, um, uh, passionate, uh, viewpoints about things, uh, in her work as, you know, when she's judging her own work as well as judging other people's work. So I appreciate that. 
Yeah, the same sly sense of humor as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's uh, definitely worth seeing, despite the many, many eyes uh, <laughs> that you were forced to be uh, exposed and closing to. closing, and that disjointed music. <laughs> so unnecessary. <laughs> um, so the next one is uh, Ulysses. Uh, so we've got another Odyssey reference here. Um, and this is... Uh, this was an interesting movie. So it's it it's essentially a documentary about a picture that she took um, uh, twenty five years earlier um, on a beach. It's a it's got a a dead goat in the foreground, um, which had apparently kind of fallen off a cliff, um, and in the background there is a young boy and a naked guy uh from behind uh on the beach um and she kind of dissects the picture she also talks a lot about um her like the the history around it what she was doing at the time where she was living the kinds of of photography that she was making um but i think the the film really comes alive when she's talking to the two people who were in the picture um and and uh, as well as their kind of uh, people surrounding her at the time and their memories of that era and also specifically of that picture or day uh, or lack thereof um uh, and so i you know I, I i thought this was interesting i think it seems like just from a quick perusal uh, on on my letterbox that other people responded to this a little bit stronger than than I did. Um, I was kind of less engaged than I had expected to be. What did you think of this one? I thought it was uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. It uh, you know, that idea of exploring the uh, memories. I, I liked how it kind of turned into a bit of a um, this picture is important to her. It's a blip on in the life of the man who is in it i think mm -hmm. one of his great throwaway lines like oh yeah you were super interested in uh posing naked men and taking pictures of dead things at that time <laughs> like he was just like you know like oh yeah i remember you were like so into like taking pictures of dead things which makes me laugh because that's kind of like one of those things you say to a friend when you know oh yeah when you were younger yo, you totally always like picked your nose and ate it like it was just like one of those <laughs> things you forget about and you know, you know your obsession that you're so into for that moment, and then you uh, turn around and it's no longer a part of your life. And then the you know, then the young the young man just not even it not even having an effect on his life, not even remembering it, and you know very well at all. He remembers other things, but he doesn't remember that picture or being in that picture or even drawing the picture of the picture of the picture of the picture. Yeah, is, I mean it's very it specific. Was, yeah, and that's like. I love that uh, elasticity of memory and like what each person keeps with them and, and how, or, you know, the importance put upon it. And, uh, I thought I like that portion of the film. I like that concept. Um, you know, I think it's a little twee when she's interview. you know, she's doing street kids looking at the pictures and describing what they see kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I I was like, well, I guess like I didn't understand the, <laughs> I didn't understand why you would take it out of the realm it already was in. Yeah, but you know, I think that's where sometimes, um, 
like for a project like this that you know it was the point was made and the idea was pretty solid and then it kind of spiraled out with a little bit of that kind of stuff which kind of was like it didn't add anything to it it just kind of made for cute moments which if this was for like tv or like interview like a like a like a news piece where they put that where they're like hey look at this famous picture and then we talk to some people on the street to get an idea of what they think you know that's fine but it kind of felt odd being in this uh in this piece but i did like listening to the uh um the man uh who was in a few of her pictures back then and now he he was what he's the publisher of or the editor of uh oh it's a fashion it's like magazine. a fashion magazine right yeah I, yeah i want to say conde nas but that's not right but uh yeah he's uh he's an editor of a fashion magazine which you know there he was a model for uh right. agnes varda back in the day and they were buddies and they palled around and and then i also uh, then we also add in a third layer when we uh, start interviewing the mother of the young boy yeah. who uh, was really good friends with Varda back in that time, which I liked. It's interesting just to like think about, you know, here's this like random young woman who's, you know, making, taking photographs and living in your house and <laughs> all of a yeah. sudden like, you know, she's on this Varda. Um, I, I think that the, the the kids on the street characteristic of of Varda's approach to these more um, subjective and um, almost uh, um, improvisational works, where she is very trusting of her instincts, and if she feels like an idea comes to her, even if it doesn't have any sort of like explicit logic within the work that she's producing she wants to go there with she wants yeah. to trust her instincts and sometimes that really works for her um i think it works better in the last movie last short we're going to talk about yeah. um and sometimes it feels like what is this doing in here like what is the purpose of this like there's definitely yeah. some aspects of that in documentor as well where there's some sort of deviations from what she's focused on that are more successful than others. Um, so, you know, I, I admire that in her and I think it's, um, uh, typically successful for her, but it doesn't always work. And yeah, I agree with you. It didn't feel super relevant. Yeah. I felt that I felt that more in murmurs than I did in documentary. Yeah. These little murmurs as well. Totally. But yeah, yeah, it was kind of, you know, it was hard like in a editorial eye to like, you know, you get that poignancy of the mom and the friendship and the memories. And she remembers all that stuff, obviously, because it's her child. So it's, uh, you know, she's the only one who remembers everything clearly because it's something that happened to her, you know, with her kid. And they talk about, you know, the kid's illnesses and how he could, couldn't walk all the time. And so she was, you know, they'd carry her out, carry, you know. Then you've got the whole, like, carried the boy who can't walk out to the beach to pose in the picture next to the dead goat who also can't, like, you know, this, you know, tying this idea of, like, vitality to death with this little boy kind of straddling in between them you know it was it was really all that stuff was poignant and meaningful and then yeah that little variation it almost is like 
someone been like, hey, I'm editing this for you. I'm going to say, you don't really need those kids at the <laughs> end. Um, but or put them somewhere else in the in it so you end on a stronger note of the uh, of the picture but I do I do appreciate that she she goes for things she doesn't hold back um, but yeah I, 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 I enjoyed this um, but I thought it was just a little too over long after its point yeah. was its point was belabored after the point was made which was, I thought was a, a strong and uh, and beautiful point Um and then yeah, yeah no, I liked it. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, uh, it was good. It kind of crystallized a lot of her. It took that. It's almost like this whole thing came about because she was going through photographs for that one minute, one image, and came mm. across this one and kind of right. like jarred yeah. a memory and made her interested in finding out what happened to these people, which I thought was, uh, you can kind of see the uh, the logic of how this movie came about, you know? I, I felt like it was also kind of relevant to point court. Like I, I feel like I got a little bit of insight into her around that era. And obviously like the dead goat and the dead cat imagery in point court definitely, uh, you know, resonated for me. Um, so I thought there was a, you know, value in it from, like just the perspective of somebody who wants to know more about Varda's early work. Yeah. And I like how she's always uh always able to look back and kind of assess and judge her early stuff and kind of figure herself out. I I, yeah. I always appreciate that. It doesn't feel all navel gazy when she does it. It feels like she's trying to do some work, which is always uh appreciated. Totally agree. Um so the next one is pretty pretty brief um this is the so-called karyatid karyatida i don't know you pronounce it you pronounced it before ledit karyatids i don't know karyatid yeah anyway they're statues (laughs) that hold up things (laughs) yes of people i i mean i found the the you know history behind them to be very fascinating um and you know there's some nice images of of Par- contemporary paris at the time uh here um she followed this up 20 years later with an even shorter uh updated uh you know footage of of additional uh statues throughout throughout paris um in, in as a film i think it's probably one of her more insignificant works that we've watched so far yeah it's something it's almost it almost goes backwards to the uh to like the travel films just something she did for yeah you know uh commission paris you know do something i think it lacks a little a lot of the personality of those works though yeah i think you know i think she's in the midst of all these other projects and this was something she kind of needed to finish but it uh you know it was nice i liked her I like some of her wry takes on some of the things. You know, the men are always flexing and struggling yeah. to hold up things while the women are just naked and lounging about. And really, you know, I, you know, the whole masculine, feminine, feminist perspective of uh, the statues was was nice. It was it was good, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. It was. Uh, it's one of those things that you definitely don't always think about because they're everywhere. Right. But once you start, uh, you know. 
image after image after image. And I like some of the staged work she does where she has the whole neighborhood cleaning the one together at the same time out their windows. Um, that felt that felt like it was a put on to me. It didn't feel like they were all there doing that on that day. Like, yeah, hey, it's time to point. clean the butt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I did, a, I did, a, I didn't, you know, it was fine. It was a lot less. It was, uh, it was something that was a trifle and was over and I didn't even think about it after that. So the last one is, um, it's seven rooms, a kitchen, a bathroom, uh, for sale. Um, I get the sense especially like from the credits where it was talking about how like when this was filmed that this was kind of a, a situation where she had a space to film in and she you know sort of made this up as she went along based on the introduction she was definitely saying like you know she was using the space as inspiration for these yeah. jumping off points but i but i I felt like it wasn't just that she kind of came up with this idea. It was like, hey, you have we have this, you know, a, a abandoned, uh, what was it, like a rest, oh, a rest home? I thought this was a art installation that she used as a springboard to make a narrative around it. Yes, I think right? that's basically, yes, okay. I think that's basically what okay. they like. They gave her this space as part of a exhibit of some kind. And yeah. so uh, she she sort of used that in whatever way she saw fit, and and that the way that she, you know, the the film that was produced was basically a free association of you know what that space, what she could do in that space, or what came to her yeah. as she was in that space. Yeah, and she chose this uh, uh, this space because it is a there is a bit of a home structure home vibe to it a uh, place where people live that uh, she chose to incorporate family dynamics within this space it felt it felt varda doing lynch is what this felt like it was uh it had some you know these odd family dynamics where things are yeah. just uh un uh super unnecessarily tense and then you've got this uh this uh, space in which things are just weird and then i can't tell if uh, it was before the installation got put in she got footage of everything and then the installation got put in and then i don't know how the timing of everything worked because we do get some of the rooms pre or post right. um like the kitchen with all the uh the greenery in it with the chicken just or no chicken what animals is it a turkey turkey that's just poking yeah i around think it's the a kitchen. turkey um and then we also get the kitchen without it but uh it's a it has an a really aw, beautifully weird quality to it that i found fascinating like i was just wrapped watching this all this oddity happen and being like where what is what is this like because <laughs> i always watch the introductions after the piece so oh, okay. that way there's you know because sometimes she just tells you everything what it means yeah. and i'm like i don't want to know what it means i want to watch it first point. yeah but uh so i watched i watched the introduction after so i was kind of like fascinated with wow she's really going very different this feels almost yeah. like that remember the uh 
early on she did the oh man I'm gonna have to go back and actually look uh, I can't remember the name of it remember the one where she's doing the uh, like the pillars and the people talking uh, I think it's Nausicaa the uh, yeah. the theatrical portions of Nausicaa yeah. uh-huh. um, that's what it felt like it felt like a, a heightened reality of just this weirdness um, and then the family dynamics come in which are really kind of like overwrought like melodrama and yeah well they're like automatons like i, I they, it reminded me so this film in general reminded me a lot of alan renee's work um mm. like there's definitely a little bit of like a marion bad vibe where it's like you don't really know where any of these rooms are there's like ghosts living inside of them that may or may not exist in there in or you know you they're bouncing around in time yeah also reminded me strongly of um my american uncle the film that he made a couple of years before this um but there's also definitely like a godard vibe to the the conversations that the family are having where it's like you know um uh the film that he made a couple of years after this which i think is called the new wave um or uh, yeah i think it's called the new wave it's like people talking with in like famous quotes instead of like talking uh, yeah instead of talk using their like no, normal language to interact with people yeah and then this feels a little bit like that like the scene with the older couple where where the woman is just talking about um the the help and like complaining about the help and the man is just talking about how his wife isn't hot anymore and it's a real bummer <laughs> yeah um like they were just they were having this conversation where they were having two different monologues as opposed to interacting with each other um i was even wondering you know did she think of the idea of using this young couple and then having them get older within the film or did she just shoot the young couple and then she later on she was like hey let's recast them and do the scene with them older like i didn't know how much of this was yeah sort of planned out versus her just you know shooting whatever came to mind it uh, could it could also be uh you know she never got to finish that uh earlier work where she had that i that concept with a guy who has the different versions of himself playing right you know yeah. just kind of like oh well, i get to do that thing that i didn't get to do earlier you know and this is a and I, I and 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 her incorporating documentary type stuff where she's interviewing the inmates of or not inmates I should say the uh, patients of this uh, hospital um, and how they used to live there and then incorporating them as ghosts within the space right uh, you know it's just it's a uh, she just let her she just let whatever wanted to happen happen and it was so it was so fascinating just watching these like things unfurl. Like it was just weird. And I, I liked it. Like I responded to it. Like I was yeah. like, this is just, <laughs> this is like just so such a departure, but at the same time, there, there are a lot of her themes still inside no, yeah, of it. Big time. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. Um, it was also like, despite the fact that it's a, a very, uh, you know, loose narrative to say the least. Um, it's very controlled and composed from a from a visual perspective um you know her her talent as a photographer is certainly on display here um in the images of the empty 
spaces, um, but also just in the in in the uh, you know you, I wouldn't call it plot, but in the in the scenes where characters are interacting with each other, um, she's very conscious of where she's placing people and how she's shooting the spaces to mimic the the empty versions of them. Yeah, no. and then of course there's you know the giant room of feathers which is a whole other thing um the, that uh, i did not see coming i didn't see that coming either and it was uh but it was the picture that's in the i think it's the photo of the feather room and the lady sitting in it is in the sleeve mm. uh, of the box set like it's either it's either on the page that the that this the blu-ray comes out of or it's in the book i can't remember which because the whole time i was just not only was i watching this movie and kind of being like lost a bit but also enjoying the ride i also knew in my head at some point this was going to happen and so there was this anticipation that was also (laughs) building through the movie like where is this naked old lady in the feather room going to show up? <laughs> like, I haven't seen anything leading to this yet. And so it became like this like whole thing, like in my head, go, when is this part going to happen? This is, this is fascinating. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all, but it was the, that feather room is gorgeous. Like, I don't know what it is about it. Like, I don't think I'd want to be in there like ever, but like the imagery from it was, uh, was, uh, really, uh, fantastic. Like the whole, the whole thing was fantastic. Like just like these little, it felt like dioramas, but in art installation mm-hmm. dioramas mm-hmm. in these rooms, like you're only supposed to see like the way that she's photographing them. It's like, you're only supposed to see them from this perspective. Like you're in the hallway yeah. looking into these rooms. Um, odd things are happening, but then you're watching people <laughs> interact in these spaces. And you're like, this makes no sense. Especially when they get the, uh, the uh, old, the later maid, the the maid in their older times who doesn't give a shit about them, yeah. <laughs> like where the first maid was really super, like you know, proper and taking care of the kids and making sure everything was right. Then you get the later one who's smoking over the eggs and yeah, could with the care sh- yeah, could care less about their bourgeois lifestyle and uh, <laughs> is very against that whole thing and. It was uh, it was just fascinating to see people interact in these dioramic spaces that looked like they should just be viewed and not uh, uh you know interacted with. It was uh, yeah. it was neat. Um, so anything else on any of these shorts? I it's like uh, I guess it's kind of like uh, there's this quote Stephen King has where as many books as he's written he still likes to practice the art of the short story because it's a it is a different art form than long form anything and you know there is a an economy and a way of telling these stories uh and i think that i appreciate that varda still all the way up to the end is still working in short narrative forms or short documentaries the short um and I like that. It's almost kind of like keeping yourself fresh or experimenting with new ideas that you might not be able to get away with in a longer form. And I like that we get these feature films that either 
you could see germs or seeds of them in shorter films from earlier or experimentations that are later put into full use in other films i i appreciate that when going through her catalog uh, as we have been you can see the both the um her growing as a filmmaker but her also using this short form to kind of experiment or try ideas or um tell stories that you know I think of all the feature film filmmakers who never made a short film because and how many ideas were left on the floor that they had that they could have just quickly, you know, said, oh, let's do this as a short because I want to get this idea out there, but I can't fully form it into a feature. And how many of those, how many like pieces of art are just never happened because of that. And I appreciate that she to still continues to try to do uh to tell these stories it's like she has a story or an idea or a thought or or a notion or something that she has to get out of her and she just does it no matter what the format ends up being because she just wants to do these things and i i love that about her and about these short films um yeah it's a good point like i there's not really a place for the short film in the marketplace today and that's kind of sad like i think we have lost something um and especially interesting because like there's no reason why some a filmmaker couldn't make a 20 minute short for netflix and throw it on the service like that that's going to get people to watch it just as much as a feature length film maybe even more in some cases because it's less of a time commitment oh completely i think uh I think that's where that failed uh, Quibi experiment was, was the, you know, these little short bite kind of movies that they were supposed to make. And I, I think, I think, you know, when someone, when a, when a director that I like or admire, like releases some sort of short form, anything, be it a music video or a, or a short film that is just uh, put out on streaming, it's like, you get millions and millions of views. I don't know why more directors don't experiment and try things in that form, but you know, it's a, uh, it's weird. It's, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful format that uh, I don't think a lot of people uh, explore enough. Um, So uh, we have to still rank uh, these movies. Um, where would you slot Documentor on your list? So, I have it's a uh, it's kind of it's kind of higher than I think you have it. Um, I really responded to that movie. I don't know what it was about this uh, this woman's story, um, her finding herself, exploring herself a bit more. But uh, right now, I have Nausicaa at my bottom, The Point Court, Lace Creatures. I have Murmurs, I have Lions, Love, and Lies, I have Daguerreotypes, then I have Documentor, Cleo, One Sings, and Le Bonaire. So it's kind of high. It beat out Daguerreotypes for me and Lions, Love, and Lies. There's something about the imagery and the, uh, the things that are going on in Documentor that really resonated with me and I really appreciated. So it kind of, it kind of, got up there I, I we're not far off um uh, i have i have this uh so i have nausicaa the creatures daguerreotypes uh point court and then documentor so 
just behind Lion's Love and nice. uh, and Murmurs. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with everything that that you've said on this episode, and I, I think it's a you know I was very a lot more struck by it this second time around. It felt more slight the first time I watched it, and um, I thought that there was a lot of interesting stuff going on here, especially in how she kind of constructs the film visually. Um, it's a it's a very personal movie, and I think um, it's very effective in that regard. So yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. it, it being something she made while she was separated from her husband, it's uh, yeah. It, there's a there's a brutal honesty that she's kind of exploring that I really appreciate a lot. And it's only an hour, which is the length all movies should be. Exactly. <laughs> hour ten tops. Hour twenty. There. That's it. Boom. Um, so uh, next time we'll be talking about one of Arda's most significant films, um, Vagabond. Uh, this is um, one of her more successful films commercially, but certainly critically as well. This is in the top 100 sight and sound films as of uh, 2022. Uh, is this a film that you've seen before? Uh, this is a film I have not seen before. I okay. was saving it. I was going to watch it, and then right. I bought it on the DVD, and then a Blu-ray came out, and then I went to get the Blu-ray, and then we started this podcast. So I was like, all right, I get to save it for this. And uh, we're going to have a special guest with us on that episode, too. Yes, more guests. Go uh, Agnes Fart, please. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about it and talk about it with you and talk about it with our guest. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it all. And I think with that, we're complete for another week. Um, I do want to respond to you, but uh, can you hear the 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 movie it's very loud on my side i think they just got into like an action sequence i'm gonna see if they can watch it in the other room hold on this is what happens when you leave me to by myself i'm gonna sing you a song until you come back these little easter eggs are the best Credible Hulk, he's got a big chest.